Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now when I talk to players that are going through stuff, it's not always... The players, a lot of time it's the wife of the players that is going through this and they're talking about, you know, this is not the man that I married. This is not the man who, you know, fathered my children. He's a, he's a different person. is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella for all of your home loan needs. Just go online, roysumbrella.com. Buying a new home, looking to do a refi to take advantage of these low, low rates, just go to roysumbrella.com. No tricks, no gimmicks, no hidden charges at the end. You're going to love working with Roy and his staff. Again, for all of your home loan needs, just go to roysumbrella.com. My guest on the show today was a co-host of mine, Back on radio in Sacramento, he grew up in Clovis, played for the USC Trojans, and he was cut by soon-to-be Hall of Fame coach Tom Flores <laughs> with the Raiders, and he has a laugh. See, I don't even have to introduce him. When you hear his laugh, you know it's Mike Lamb. Mike, it is so great to have you on the program, buddy. It's great to be on with you, and I know that every time that you and I have had conversations. Uh, it's always been fun, and I get entertained, so I hope somebody else gets entertained. And then, I don't know, I was kind of expecting, you know, not my co-host, but the greatest co-host ever. With, <laughs> you know, I, I was really hoping you were going to build me up there. Well, I got to tell you, my dad thought that you did a much better job than I did. Every time my dad would call me, the first thing he would say is, hey, how's Mike doing? <laughs> Well, Bert Napier was one of the uh, great people uh, that I have ever encountered in my life. And I, I, I loved your dad. I, I miss your dad. And you're, you know, let me tell you something. You're lucky to have had him in your life. Oh, I appreciate that. Mike, uh, take me back to growing up in Clovis and your decision to play college football at USC. It was an interesting time because I had a – really kind of a rough childhood and I always had this ability though and I, I don't know if you want to call it gestalt or whatever but I could always you know think about the future and I want to say at a very very young age there was something about that university that I wanted to attend it and of course not knowing how you're going to do it eight or nine or whatever and nobody around you goes to college nobody talks about going to college and let alone dream about a university like that. And then it just kind of came to being that I got to play football and then I was okay at it. And when I got recruited, it was, it was really interesting because I got recruited by a lot of schools. And Notre Dame was one, all the, what was it, Pac-10 schools back then. And you know, just thinking about all the things that came in, nothing really appealed to me. I had one university, it was like, hey, here's your job. We got a scholarship for your girlfriend. We got a car. And, all, and it was just really funny. It just wow. never appealed to me. I always wanted to go to USC. How many Hall of Famers were on the teams while you were at USC? There are several, right? Yeah, there's four of them. And I'm trying to think of them all off the top of my head. There's Ronnie Lott, Anthony Munoz. Bruce Matthews, and of course the Heisman Trophy winner, Marcus Allen. That's so unbelievable. Those, Seriously. The, that, those well, four names? No, really. That is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. We had we had such a good team. And, and 
I can, you know, talk about the depth. Uh, in 79, we had two Heisman Trophy winners in the backfield. So Marcus was the fullback and Charles White was the tailback. Wow. And people don't, they're like, oh, wow, I forgot Marcus played fullback. But yeah, those guys were in that together. And then the other story that I love to tell, and I'll recount to the listeners of your podcast, in 79, Anthony Munoz got hurt in the first game against Texas Tech. So everybody's like, now, what are we going to do? How are we going to you know, run our offense? We don't have Anthony Munoz. So a freshman came in to back him up, and that was Don Mosborn. You probably remember wow. him from sure. the Los Angeles Raiders. Yeah, pretty good player. Career cut short uh, with an injury. And so he gets hurt before the UCLA game. So now there's this outright panic. You know, what are we going to do? We've lost Munoz. Mosbar went down. Who are we going to find? So they went and they found another freshman to come in and fill in that role. And it was Bruce Matthews. Wow. So you're talking about two Hall of Famers, right? That's unbelievable. <laughs> In one year at, at uh, Week Tackle, what we call Week Tackle, yeah. You and I have had this conversation both on the radio and in private, you grow up and you go and you're in a very small town. And then all of a sudden you're in downtown Los Angeles with all types of different ethnicities on your team. And you used yeah. to tell me what, what a phenomenal life experience it was for you to go to USC and, and all of the things you learned that you didn't have the ability to do with Clovis. It was life changing for you, wasn't it? Well, you come from a small town and I call it a small tribe, right? Because everybody's the same and everybody thinks the same and you don't necessarily have an opportunity to expand, you know, your view on, on life. So yeah, of course you're going to a private university, you're learning things and that's part of your education, but it's also the fact that a lot of the preconceived notions that you maybe had and were taught, those get shattered. And then, and then all of a sudden you're outside of yourself and you're like, well, what else is wrong? And so I always talk about my view on race because, you know, I was in a pretty redneck uh, environment and you know, the, some of the language that was used, I shudder to think about it now, but, you know, it was, but I learned and, and it's in, and it talk about coming full circle so there was, I hadn't been around very many black people in my life. And I was there at USC and I'm on this team with everybody. And that's why I always think about these lo a locker room as a great melting pot because it doesn't matter where you're from. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter socioeconomic background. You're all there for the same purpose. And you all come together and you kind of build that brotherhood. And just to take it another step, which is where I, I talk about the full circle part. So two of the people that really kind of helped me change my views, one was Ronnie Lott and the other was Eric Scoggins was, was a player. And I was had a class with Eric and I interacted with these guys and, you know, just kind of built this, this friendship, you know, because we're so different, you know, it was, it was kind of fun to get together. And then Eric Scoggins ended up being, the manager at Ronnie's, two of Ronnie's car dealerships. So they were friends for other, for a long time. Unfortunately, we lost Eric some time back. But then Ronnie, Ronnie was there and he and I, you know, would, would interact. And, and trust me, I'm nowhere near the player that he is, but there was just something there. So fast forward to two years ago when we started the Hall of Fame Health Initiative for retired players. Who's one of the big proponents of it? Who's the person that is interacting with the players and has helped us succeed is Ronnie Lott. And wow. it's just, it just, to me, it's just, yeah, it, it's just, it's really funny. But my view changed so much. And I, and I always, this is one of my, one of my things. When people give me a view on race and I'll say, when was the last time you broke bread with somebody you know, that was of another race or of another walk of life or one of those things. When have you done that? Because to me, that's, that's where it all happens. Sit down and find the commonalities. Amen. 100% spot on what you just said. That is so very true. When you get to USC and you're on the field with Ronnie Lott and Marcus Allen, do you know instantly, wow, 
I'm I'm playing on a team with unbelievable talent. Let's talk about Ronnie Ronnie Lott first. How long did it take to realize that you were looking at someone that had a chance uh, to be unbelievably special? And as it turned out, he's one of the great uh, defensive backs in the history of the National Football League. Well, it's really interesting you bring that up because I was having this conversation yesterday with a former NHL player, David Hannon, and he played for 20 years, was on the Avalanche and Edmonton uh, when they won their Stanley Cups. And so we, we were talking about Tom Brady and about special players. Mm-hmm. He got to play with Gretzky. And, you know, just and he said, it takes a little while, I guess, to answer your question. It takes a little while for you to understand and witness some things that you've never witnessed before. When I first got there, I was like, oh, you know, you're just trying to kind of survive and, and get the feel for it. But as you started to watch those players and you saw how much better they were than everybody, their different approach, mentally where they were, things that they could do. And in one sense, it's frustrating because, you know, you can go out and practice and work hard and do all the things that you want to do. You're never going to be them. And, and it takes a little while for you to understand, oh, they're special. Why are they special? And what is it that they do? You know, the common thread between those two players that you just discussed was they had this gift, right? But they utilized the gift the best that they could. You know, Ronnie was as competitive and worked as hard as anybody. I and mean, sometimes you see players that have physical gifts, but they don't. They don't utilize them the way they should. Well, I think Ronnie's that guy that absolutely took it and got everything out of himself. And, and Marcus, to a certain extent, was was that way as well. Uh, but he developed it somehow. I think intellectually, he made himself a better player. If, if you if you understand what I'm saying, I think Ronnie just had this fire and was not going to be outworked. And then Marcus wasn't great his junior year at USC. He, he was okay. He, there were a lot of long runs that he uh, that were there, and he didn't get them. And then there was a transformation, and I, and I really, when I say that, I think intellectually he decided that he was going to be a better player, and I don't know how he flipped that switch, but, you know, you, you rush for 2,000 yards and you win the Heisman Boy. Trophy, and then you go to the Raiders, right? Sure. That's incredible. You know, speaking of the Raiders, the 30 for 30 just came out on Al Davis and Pete Rozelle. I was fascinated watching that. What was your take on it? It was really interesting uh, the way that they did it. And I think that the, some of the, you know, the, some of the characters of Al and Pete, I think some of that was speculation, but I think it was a pretty educated guess, right, from what sure. was going on. Yeah. I was there when that move to Los Angeles happening and, and growing up as a kid, just a big time Raiders fan and watching, you know, George Bland to come back to win games on a, whatever it was, 12 inch black and white TV. And we had two channels in the Valley and one happened to be NBC. So we would, yeah, you, got, you, got Kurt, you got Kurt Gowdy and Aldi Rogatis on the call, right? <laughs> so, you would get the Jets and John Namath in the early game and then the Raiders in the late game. But just, you know, just remembering all that and what happened and, and how Al was. But it, when I spent time with Al Davis, and it wasn't a lot, but when I spent time with Al Davis and mostly as a broadcaster, he just he kind of was a force of nature. And so when I watched that, you knew what was going on, and I and they alluded to it. Al was not going to give up and Al was going to wear you down. And I think that one of the ways that he did it was the more confused the situation was, the more clarity I believe that he would get. Mm-hmm. And I, Pete was the opposite of that. Pete wanted things to run smoothly. Uh, he, I think, was uh, somebody who liked to plan and wanted to have things that he knew how it was going to happen. And Al did the opposite. And that's that was his game plan. That's how he did it. And, uh, he just, he just did things. I mean, I was told a story that coach Davis, when he was in the army, right. That he was in charge of a football team for the army. And so it was Dick Romanowski, who was the equipment guy was a sergeant. Al Davis was a private. And I don't know this. You know, this is, trust me, this is secondhand. Sure. I heard this story. But they were in the Army. A general wanted to have a football team, put Al Davis in charge. 
So he got Dick Romanowski, who's his sergeant, to come work for him as a private. Wow. He gets a plane, all the players, everything that he needs to put together this this football team. And I just kept thinking to myself, at a young age where your mindset is probably, I'm a private, he never had that mindset. He was leading. He was selling the general. He brought along his sergeant. And I, and I think that you saw that throughout it. And I think that he, you know, the one thing when Steve Sable asked, Al, the question about, you know, did you get picked first, you know, on, on teams when you were a kid? And Al replied, I like to think I was the one doing the picking. (laughs) Right. He was. Yeah. You know, um, I did the Raiders preseason games on TV for five years, and I found myself in meetings sometimes with Al Davis. And I'd be in there with Tom Flores and Jim Plunkett and Greg Papa, and Artie yeah. Gigantino, and we'd be sitting at the Raiders facility in Alameda in the conference room, and I got to tell you, you know, you, you know this from being a former athlete and then being in broadcasting. You know, as, you, as you're in this profession, you don't really get infatuated or like, wow, I'm with somebody. somebody. But I got to tell yeah. you, when I was in the presence of Al Davis, like I felt like I was in the presence of God almost like being in this, yeah. you know what I mean? Being in the same room with Al Davis and he, and Al wanted to know what everyone thought. And he would start off. He'd go, Jim, let me ask you, do you think Charles Woodson can play cornerback? I mean, I'm not kidding you. We had this conversation. Then he'd go to Tom yeah. Flores. Then he went around to me and he asked me a question about a broadcaster who had just been fired. Okay. And he wanted to know my opinion of it, and I gave him my opinion. But, you know, Al wanted to know what everyone was thinking, and Al didn't want any surprises. I was doing a game in Houston, okay, and HBO had just come out with a story on HBO Real Sports, and Randy Moss, who was on the Raiders then, had admitted to smoking marijuana on, on a lot of different occasions. I was out to lunch. I walk into the lobby of the hotel and somebody from the Raiders comes up and goes, hey, uh, Mr. Davis would like you to call him immediately. Here's his room Mm. number. I go up to my room. I call Al Davis's room. Hello. I go, Mr. Davis, this is Grant Napier. He goes, Grant, how are you? I said, I'm good. He goes, Grant, listen, this is what you're going to say tonight when you come (laughs) on the air about Randy Moss. And he said to me, are you writing this down? I said, yes, sir. He told me what I was going to say. At the end of the conversation, he said, Grant, now tell me, what are you going to say? And Mike, I've never been so grateful in my life that I actually was writing it down. I wrote, <laughs> I, you know, I, Mike, I, right? I swear on my life, I wrote it down word for word, and I read it back to Mr. Davis, and he said, that's exactly right. And Grant, after you read that, you're not going to mention it the rest of the game. I said, yes, sir. He goes, okay, Grant, we'll see you at the game. I go, thank you, Mr. Davis. And he hung up the phone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Al, Al was in charge of everything, man. Yeah. Well, you know, and that was the double-edged sword, right? You yep. know, is that he was in charge of everything. It had to be done his way. He's also a guy who demanded loyalty and gave loyalty, but it was blind loyalty. So, I mean, I, I know there are a lot of people that, you know, were, are, were still in the fold uh, all the way to the end. And I know there were some other people that had been discarded because of what Al perceived as you not being loyal. So when you talk about being around him, he had an incredible charisma. I would say he's probably one of the top three most intelligent people I've ever encountered in my life. And I think I've encountered some pretty brilliant people, but I would say he's right there. And, and just the way that he thought, the way that he uh, you know, saw things differently. But I, then I think at the end, you know, some people go like, well, some of his behaviors and, and I don't think that he ever was thinking about the, you know, what does society think? What do people think about me? And I think as he got older, I think that became even more and more pronounced. Um, but, um, you know, there was, there was a way to get it done the rare way. It was Al's way. And so for you to, you know, kind of share that story, some people are uncomfortable being told something, but, uh, you know, quite frankly, that's leadership. I'd rather have a leader tell me this is what's expected, right? And then I can make my choice and and go from there uh, without. But I, I I love your story and and I think that there's a lesson in uh, that for everybody. You're he's asking your opinion. He asked Jim Plunkett's opinion. He asked Tom Flores' opinion. You know, there's a couple things going on there. One, you're finding out. You're getting the pulse and the temperature of the room. 
But the other part is when you're checking in with everybody like that, it, it makes them feel valued. It makes them feel as though they're a stakeholder in what's happening that day. Or, you know, you tell me, I, I would imagine you felt that way. Sure. When you're in that meeting. Absolutely. And that's something that I try to do now when I'm in a business meeting or a board meeting, I'm always trying to check in with my board members and, and trying to make sure that their opinions are heard, that their feelings are, are felt by everybody in the room. And, and I think that he did that. And I just, I wonder what it was like to work with him, for him, and be around him, because I just hear so many amazing stories, and you just told another one. Well, I got to tell you, what was going through my mind was, what the hell am I doing in this meeting? Like, I have no, I have no, why is Grant, why is Grant Napier in a meeting with Al Davis, Jim Plunkett, Tom Flores? Like, how out of place is that, you know? But it was a, it was a phenomenal experience. Hey, I want to move on. After, after you and I, uh, Stopped doing the show, and you went into, uh, I thought, a fascinating career and really dealing with the study of concussions and working with youth football, and you've continued that on. So I'm going to ask you this question first, and then I want you to educate the people that are listening to this podcast on, on, on what you've learned and what you're doing. If your son, who I watch play high school football, if your son right now were six, seven years old and had an interest in playing youth football, would you let him play? No, not at that age. Absolutely not. No way. No chance. When they get to high school, I think then you can have the discussion you know, on, on what's going on. But it's it's amazing to me that six and seven-year-olds are playing tackle football. And I I know that not everyone understands what the ramifications are, but I, I will share with you right now in my work with the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little more about that later, but I'm seeing, I'm witnessing the after effects of what happened to our heroes who played in cases of dementia and an inordinate amount of that. So I, I see the end. I, and I think I've shared this with you before. You know, I was neighbors with Doug Cosby there in Loomis. And not, I mean, close enough. We met at Starbucks. And when we would have our conversations about this, it came from having played and you understand the downside and you understand uh, the physical toll that the game takes on you. So why start that at six? Why not start it at 16? And I know people think, oh, my kid's going <laughs> to... If they're that good, it, they'll be that good. And playing at six is not going to do it for them. You mentioned the work with the Hall of Fame. Let's talk more about that and what you're doing. Well, I was contacted a little over a probably a year and a half ago, and I had this story told to me that there was a discussion with David Baker, the president and CEO of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, a number of players, and Ronnie Lott would be number one amongst the, the driver's of this agenda that there are players, retirees who are really struggling from a healthcare perspective. And one of the common notions, everybody that's in the hall of fame is, you know, sitting on a pot of gold, $10 million and they can, you know, do whatever they want to do. And I can tell you that perception is not correct. So problems with insurance, problems with access, problems with trying to, you know, figure out who do I go see? In other words, you know, go back to, and I'll use kind of an inside baseball thing, but our, our good friend, Pete Youngman, who's a longtime athletic trainer for the, for the Kings, when you're an athlete, that's how you're used to accessing healthcare. You've got somebody to help you. I want you to go see Dr. Margo. I want you to go see Dr. Tanji. You know, these are the, these are the guys and the player trust that when they leave the game, they don't have that. And it, it's not something that they necessarily want to navigate. So Ronnie and David Baker and a couple of other players went to an associate of mine who's been in healthcare, coincidentally another USC offensive lineman, but uh, a center, so he's a lot smarter than, than I am. <laughs> but he's been very successful in healthcare and started a collaboration called Hall of Fame Health. And then I got recruited over because of uh, the work I'd done in concussion and I, and I knew how to navigate the the insurance component of it. And I had a lot of contacts in the NFL uh, who helped us to try to put this thing together. So since then we launched it and um, we've helped, we've helped a lot of players. I mean, I, I could tell you, you know, a story or two 
but it, it just, just put it this way. The players that we've dealt with, I feel strongly, have had better outcomes with their health mm. and their procedures. And that's really what everybody wanted. Mike, I remember when you and I would go up to Edgewood and broadca- broadcast up there and we would talk to Jim McMahon. You know, he was very open about what he was dealing with, the issues that had set in at that mm-hmm. period of his life. And it was eye-opening to me. And, you know, we hear these stories all the time about former players and the health issues that you're dealing with. That's why I asked you about your son. And I know I'm going in a roundabout way, but Ian Book, right. Ian Book, who just had a marvelous career, at Notre Dame, I watched him play in his first ever football game at age eight. And the reason why I watched him <laughs> is my son Chase was on that team. And yeah. I always like to ask parents that question. If I could go back and do it again, I would not have allowed Chase to go play right. at age eight. But you used to you used the age 16. And I know that's a random number. What do you say to the parents yeah. that go, well, gee, if I wait that long to start my son playing in a contact sport like football, they'll have no chance to go on and play in college and maybe a low, low percentage of people that do ever get a chance to play in the pros, they'll be too far behind the eight ball. What do you say to those parents? Well, I mean, that's not a perfect example, but uh, when I worked with Kellen Winslow at Fox, you know, he didn't let his son play until his sophomore year of high school. Wow. And, you know, he went to Miami and then he played in the NFL and, and he's, you know, he's had some, some issues since then, but it, it didn't stop them. So I think in my experience, I have seen that. And if you're good, it's, it's going to do it. I didn't play till my sophomore year in high school mm-hmm. and I got a scholarship to USC and got to play there. And I don't, I don't, I just don't know that. And, and I'm going to say something that is a blanket statement and it does, I, I don't want it to be, but. I am not thrilled with the level of coaching in youth football. I'm not thrilled with the lack of sports medicine in youth football. I think there are too many risks associated with that. At least when you get to a high school, there's probably going to be an athletic trainer. You've got a, a coach who played a little college football and, you know, and, and is now coaching your kids. And, and I don't know that that's there in youth football. I don't see the vetting of coaches and sports medicine in youth football. And that is really what makes me concerned. You and I have conducted a lot of interviews, you both with me and you when you were doing national radio for Fox. So you've talked to a lot of former players. And I will tell you, the only former player that I've ever interviewed, Harry Carson. I asked him Mm -hmm. point blank because Harry's suffering from dementia. And I had Harry on. I want to say maybe 10 years ago, but don't hold me to that. Could have been less, could have been more. And I said, Harry, when you played, I, when you, if you knew then what you know now, would you have played? And he said, no. And that just blew me away. Hall of Fame middle linebacker, New York Giants, and he said, no. Do you know that he is the only former football player? And I've interviewed a number of times Jim Otto, Fred Belitnikoff. We've talked to Jim Plunkett. Yeah. I used to work with Jack Youngblood. And I can go on and on and on and on and on. I've never once, Mike, had a former player tell me, nope. They, they wouldn't have played. They all tell me it was great, blah, 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 blah. I was so blown away that Harry Carson answered the question that way. I'm curious. Yeah. You you are in contact with former players all the time. Do you ever hear regrets from them in that, oh, in that uh, sense? Oh, yeah. You and do? A lot now. Okay. Of course, you know, of course, they're on, you know, on the backside of this. You know, not to disparage our good friend Fred Blitnikoff's intellect, right? <laughs> but, right. you know... <laughs> But, and I'm thinking about Harry Carson, and I said something about Al Davis. I mean, Harry's probably one of the brightest players you would ever be around. And it's, you know, when you talk to him, he he is just so eloquent. He's thoughtful. You know that he really has taken some time to think those things through. So for him to give you an unusual answer, I I do. I think that comes out of, of him and and his intellect. So now when I talk to players that are going through stuff and, and grant, it's not always the players. A lot of time it's the wife of the players that is going through this. And they're talking about, you know, this is not the man that I married. This is not the man who, you know, fathered my children. He's a, he's a different person. I mean, I just was on 
a call with someone from Henry Ford Health System, and she dealt with a lot of the Lions and the Detroit Tigers, and just you know talking about these things and the issues that affect them. And that's the other thing. So you have the glory, you're famous, everybody gave you the cheers, and now do you want your family to have to suffer for that as you're going wow. through some of the some of the things that go on? And you know, I just it's it's a sad tale. It's a cautionary tale. You know, we sat there and. We watched the Super Bowl and Tom Brady and the glory. And, you know, for every Tom Brady, you know, there's like 10,000 people sure. out there that played some sort of football and they're suffering for it. Okay. So with that said, look into your crystal ball. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the next generation. Let's talk about when you and I are no longer here and we're talking about football, when our when our kids are having kids. What do you think? Yeah. What What is the future of football in this country? Unfortunately, I think that's going to be up to the trial lawyers to decide. No uh, kidding. I, wow. I, yeah. I believe that if someone's not forced to do something, I don't think that they're going to do it. And, and so I think that there have been a lot, a lot of lawsuits and, and they've gone, you know, they've gone the way of the players and many parents don't go that route. But I, I just, I, I think that is potentially the case. You know, when I was working with the uh, California Interscholastic Federation with them, not for them. I, I can remember, you know, I was privy to some discussions about, wow, you know, here, where are we going to be? And, and unfortunately, I think there were some, there are school districts that were willing to test the limit of their liability insurance as opposed to be proactive. I mean, it kind of sickened me. And that was, that was rare. I think it was much more prevalent when I was dealing in Texas, you know, and, and what was going on there because, you know, the way that they consider that. But unless there's big changes, and, and don't get me wrong, in the last 10 years, there have been some steps forward, but I'm, I, I just, I'm always concerned about it and, and what happens. And, you know, I hate, I hate to think it's going to be decided in the courts. I'd love to have this view of, yeah, you know, everybody's going to, everybody's going to take care of the players and, and their safety is going to be the number one concern. But that has not been my experience. As a former player, as someone that has absolutely loved the game your whole life, when you yeah. meet and have these conversations with some of these former players, it must just break your heart. Seriously, it must just, it, it's got to be a very sick feeling when you hear some of the horror stories that these former players are uh, enduring because of head injuries. Yeah. But, let me flip the narrative a little bit. Okay. All right. The, that does happen. It does exist. I think that former players are much more aware than, than the general public. And like I just said before, you think, you know, everybody's Joe Montana and married to Jennifer and, you know, living the life. I was on a call with Ty Law, former Patriot, mm-hmm. Michigan man last week. And we were talking about some of the issues and I didn't play with Ty. I didn't go to Michigan. Wasn't at the Patriots. I'm not in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, when we talk, there's kind of that, I guess, brotherhood that, you know, you, you play, you get it, and you all, and everybody has a teammate that's struggling. And so what has kind of come out of that has been to get players that are starting to pull together, like Ronnie's motivation to do this with the Hall of Fame, to kind of take care of, you know, other players. I think that that's going to build and develop over the next few years. We've got some ideas to try to try to help those players and and try to come together. And, and I, and I love that. I, like I used to talk to Doug Cosby. I didn't play with Doug, but Doug and I, you know, when we would have this conversation, it was kind of like, he knows that I know that he knows that I know, right. Right. (laughs) There's some, there's some issues out there. It's really, it's really grown out of this. I'll, I'll share this. Ronnie did a thing with Charles Haley last week on the on behavioral health and mental health and did, I think, a, an hour and talked about, you know, Charles. And Charles talked about thoughts of ending his life. Wow. And Ronnie, Ronnie was there. And Ronnie is, is helping Charles. I think everybody knows the connection between those two, the Super Bowl connection between those two and the 49ers. And he did it with a couple of doctors, and they talked about the mental health challenges of former players. And I'll just tell you this, you know, I, I've experienced it. You've experienced it. You know, when you're, when you're riding on top, right, and yep. then it goes away, yep. that pride doesn't go away. And, you know, that, that sense of, you know, what yourself was. And sometimes players lose that, and it's a difficult pill for them to swallow. 
And some of them never really get past their playing days, you know, good or bad. And so the, the mental health challenges are significant. So I just, I bring that up because it's an example, another example of where Ronnie is trying to do something good for other players. And I, and I think that he's probably at the forefront of a movement to get that done. You've mentioned Ronnie's name 15 or 20 times in this interview, and I've had the pleasure of being around him at practice. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times. I've had the pleasure of standing on a sideline of Monday night games with the 49ers and Giants. And as someone, as you know, that just was a, a, a gigantic New York Giants fan, there are very few players that I've ever been around and then gotten to know that I respect more than Ronnie Lott. He truly is a special human being, isn't he? Oh, and then, you know, the other part of it is business acumen. You know, he's not just an old, an old player, right? Right. There's a lot of – I thought for a second you were accusing me of name dropping. You know, <laughs> I, I, I thought that's where you go. You know? it, it's like me saying, well, you know, I, I had coffee with Christina Mendonca last Tuesday. <laughs> no, no, hey, no, but you, you couldn't brag. You were the only one in Sacramento that came on the air and said, I would not take DeMarcus Cousins in the draft. There were too many red flags. You were the only one in all of Sacramento. So I applaud you for that, sir. There you go. Always told the truth in Sacramento. You got me fired, but it's okay. <laughs> hey, do, hey, don't get me started, all right? Oh, my gosh. Anyways, no, he, he just, he's been a special guy. I mean, and you kind of set it off when we started talking about race and, you know, what I learned at USC and, and, and Ronnie really, you know, opened my eyes along with his friend Eric. And then to be able to come back with him and, and you do meet people that you model after, right? And so I would say that I've modeled, you know, I like to model some of my behavior at uh, Ronnie because he's been distinguished. He has been successful in business, which is something that I you know, wanted to do as well. And now it's really interesting. He has this, this unbelievable heart for the players and people. Quite frankly, I don't know if I had the courage to follow my heart like that until I was forced to do that. And now that I'm around him and and, and working with him, it's really made me. And you know how we are as men, you know, like, oh, I don't have feelings. Well, you do have feelings, sure. right? And I, I don't, you know, I don't need help and I don't need this. And, and it, sometimes it takes somebody like that that you, like, you just, you just declared your respect for him, right? Sometimes it takes somebody like that to help you break down the stigma of getting help and being a little bit vulnerable. So, you know, if Ronnie's vulnerable, well, hey, dude, he cut his finger off the plane of football game. So (laughs) nobody's going to question his toughness, right? Hey, listen, you used the word respect. There are very few people that I've known in my life that I respect more than you. Um, Just working with you, but being a friend. um, I tell the story, uh, my dad's memorial service on December 2nd of 2007 in New York. And uh, I'm there, and who do I see? One of the first people I see is Mike Lamb. You didn't tell me you were going. You flew all the way across the country. I'll never forget that. You're just a phenomenal person. I'm so happy with all the work that you're doing and you're making a difference and you're helping out former athletes. And um, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This was a lot of fun, buddy. Oh, uh, well, it, it's so great to, you know, to talk with you. And uh, you've gone quite some time here without, you know, rubbing in my face, the, your lifestyle. And I think that, you know, if I'm, I'm thinking about, you, your beautiful wife, Star, yep. and, and how you're excelling in this phase of your life, it, it's its a thrill to come on with you. Well, listen, when I ask you for a loan pretty soon, you won't be talking about my quality of life, okay? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just make sure you tell Star I said she was beautiful, okay? <laughs> hey, you're the best, Mike. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. You are you're great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Grant. What a great job by Mike. I really enjoyed that. Such a good friend and uh, a guy that I just loved working with. want to tell you that today's podcast is also brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Big news, Manscaped has just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Hey, who knew smelling this good could feel this good, too? You know, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement. 
for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. Now, everyone knows Manscaped has the perfect package, 3.0, for all of your below-the-waist grooming needs, but they didn't stop there. You can complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Calming and inviting, this signature scent introduces a light citrus burst. It is absolutely awesome. It comes in a beautifully designed glass bottle, makes a statement, and the manly scent is attractive to set the mood. And also be sure to check out the Perfect Package 3.0 with all the essentials for your below-the-waist grooming needs, including the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer and crop formulations. Now, folks, all you need to do to get 20% off and free shipping, put the code name NAPES. N-A-P-E-S at manscaped.com. Your balls and body will thank you. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES. N-A-P-E-S at manscaped.com. Look good. Smell good. Feel good with Manscaped. Now time for a little Q&A. And we want to thank our good friends over at Crowd Ultra. You can sign up. I'm getting some great questions, and more and more people are finding out about this app, and they're hitting me up. It's a phenomenal app. Just go to crowdultra.com. takes less than a minute to sign up. Maybe I'll answer your question right here on If You Don't Like That. Kevin wants to know, what do you want to be known for as far as legacy goes? You know what? That's a great question. I want to be known for that I always helped out my neighbor, that I always tried to make other people's lives better. I don't really care about the sports and I want people to remember me that I always try to make a difference in someone else's life. And that's why I started the foundation, the future foundation of Sacramento with Joe Namath, not the former Jets quarterback, but Joe approached me and Joe and I co-founded the future foundation and we put over uh, 100 at need students uh, in college. That's probably what I'm most proud for. And, you know, my boys and trying to raise them with the right values. And so that's a great question. I haven't really thought about that, but that if I could, you know, write my final chapter when I'm gone, I would hope people would say, you know what? He always tried to make other people's lives better. We'll see. I don't can't control what other people say. Steven says you answered a question about Gretzky the other week. Is Brady now the most dominant athlete of all time? no, He's not as dominant as Wayne Gretzky was. I mean, Wayne Gretzky was in another stratosphere, okay? Now, yes, has Tom Brady gone to 10 Super Bowls? Yes, he has. But when you have Tom Brady going to Super Bowls, you have Aaron Rodgers, who's the MVP of the league. I mean, Tom Brady wasn't even the MVP of the league. Yes, he's standing with the trophy, but he wasn't the MVP of the league. He's the MVP of the Super Bowl. But Wayne Gretzky was so far above everyone else, with the exception of when Mario Lemieux came into the league, but just go back and look at the numbers. Go go back and look at what Wayne Gretzky did, and then look at, I mean, Wayne Gretzky was getting over 200 points a season. If you get 100 points in a season in the National Hockey League, you're considered like a superstar, like a freaking freak, all right? Wayne Gretzky was getting 200 points. So, no, not my opinion. Not in my opinion. All right, Peter wants to know, Grant, love the interview with Ian Thompson last week. His Tommy Heinz and Rick Pitino story was fantastic. Also, great Steve Albert interview. Loved his Madison Square Garden ball boy Kent State story. Question, you criticized the Kings for not signing Giles and Bogey in the offseason. Seeing where they are now, 24 games in, wasn't it the right thing? Peter. Peter, you know what? That's a great question. Thank you, uh, first of all, for listening to the podcast. Um, I'll answer it this way. I said at the time that I would not have done that. And I also said that the new general manager of the Kings deserves three years to do things his way. It's not like the Kings have had a lot of success. So I said, Monty McNair, hey, you know what? What may look bad now may not look bad in the future. Now, I still think it's a mistake, even though Bogey is hurt. I don't know if he would have been hurt if he'd stayed with the Kings. I think it's a mistake to lose an asset like that and get nothing in return. So to me, I still look at that as a mistake. As far as Giles goes, I would have kept Giles just because of what you could have gotten him for, but I don't know if Harry wanted to play in Sacramento. The reality is your team, okay, 
and the success or lack thereof, and this is no dis- disrespect to Harry Giles, your success or lack thereof does not depend on players like Harry Giles. And that's just the reality of the situation. So time will tell. Time will tell. Um, but I don't believe that letting Bogey go for nothing was the right thing. I think when you have an asset, you keep an asset to try to get another asset. All right, your thoughts on Mark Cuban directing the Mavs to stop playing the national anthem at home games. Derek, I got great news for you. Coming up right after this Q&A is my rant. So don't go anywhere, Derek. You make sure you keep listening and check out my video rant over on YouTube if you don't like that with Grant Napier. All right, let's move along to get to some other questions. Charlie wants to know, did you catch the Washington Post taking a jab at Marty Schottenheimer in the obituary they released for him? I did not, and if that's the case, shame on them. I I did not see them. Uh, Jorge wants to know, did you find the woke commercials throughout the Super Bowl annoying? I watched very few of the commercials. I did not watch more than 60 seconds of the halftime. I have gotten to a point where I'm only watching games now, all right? I don't watch the pregame show. I don't watch anything other than when the ball is kicked off, and I'm talking about football. I don't watch anything else. I don't really pay attention to a lot of the commercials. I did watch some of them. I don't really have an opinion on that one way or the other. Uh, I I really don't. Uh, David wants to know who's the best player in the MLB. Well, that's a fabulous question because everybody says that Mike Trout is, but Mike Trout is buried on a team that's not very good. But when I talk to former players and when I talk to people still associated with the game, the first name they say is Mike Trout. Jay wants to know where will Patrick Marlowe rank in all-time NHL greats after passing Gordie Howe for most games this season? Jay, I can't put him in the same sentence as Gordie Howe, all right? So, I mean, let's stop it right there. Um, Patrick Marlowe is and has had an unbelievable career, all right? Definitely a dynamite player and deserves every single accolade that he gets. But I can't put him in there with Gordie Howe. But again, big-time player. And I have a lot of respect for uh, Patrick Marlowe. Russell wants to know, hey, Grant, Steph Curry says... He sees a lot of himself in Mahomes. Do you agree? Yeah, I do, because they came into the league and they were unconventional and they played differently than everyone else. Um, Yeah, I actually do see. And if that's what he was referring to, then yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, Mike wants to know, can Carson Wentz turn it around on another team? You know, I was talking with Tony Bruno, a longtime veteran radio sportscaster and has lived in Philadelphia for most of his life. And uh, he, he thinks he can. He thinks he can. I'm a little skeptical on that, but he, he, he thought yes. Sam wants to know, does turf toe seem to be blown out of proportion? Sam, turf toe is one of the worst things an athlete can get. I had turf toe back in college, all right? Not to a point where I needed surgery. But Sam, let me just tell you, you can't do anything with turf toe, all right? You, you can barely walk. And then what happens is, When you walk, because of your turf toe, you have to change your gait. And then you can screw up your ankle or your knee on your other leg. Turf toe is the real deal. It is absolutely brutal. Make no mistake about it. It is a horrible injury. And it, it is, I mean, think about Jack Lambert, the great Hall of Fame middle linebacker, right, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, turf toe sidelining him, are you kidding me? That's Jack Lambert. When you get turf toe, I mean, you really, you, you are in a big-time bind. Hey, thanks for the questions via Crowd Ultra. Again, just go to CrowdUltra.com. Really good questions on today's podcast. It's time for Rant. 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 It's now time for today's rant. It is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years for your plumbing needs and repairs. Just go to NewWorksPlumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. Their expert technicians are available around the clock, 24-7. So, hey, middle of the night, you have an emergency, just go to newworksplumbing.com, get in touch with them. And, again, they have an expert technician ready to go immediately. Again, for all of your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. 
Now, what the hell is wrong with Mark Cuban? Seriously. Mark Cuban decides on his own that he's not going to have the national anthem played before his games. Now, one little footnote here. He's been doing this the whole season, but really nobody's said anything because the fans have not been allowed in to go watch the Mavs play in Dallas. But that changed on Wednesday night. Now they're allowing 1,500 fans to go through the doors so the public is now being welcomed in slowly but surely in Dallas. Now the NBA has come out since with a statement. They did this again on Wednesday night. And they said, we will play the national anthem before our games. Of course they're going to play the national anthem before the games. Folks, have you seen the TV ratings across the country in all sports? Did you see the ratings for the Super Bowl? Did you see the ratings at the bubble in Orlando? I mean, they have gone down, all right? Now, this isn't really about whether you like the national anthem or not, whether you believe the national anthem should be played before games or not. I I don't want to debate that. If you feel that the national anthem should not be played at sporting events, that's fine. I'm I'm not even going to get into it with you. Here's what I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to talk about common sense, and I'm going to talk about reality. The reality is a sports league is not going to have the national anthem abolished from their games. Not happening. You know why? Because it's going to hurt their bottom line. It's going to hurt their almighty dollar. Because the reality is, regardless of what side of the fence you're on regarding the national anthem, there are many, many, many fans in America that will turn off sports and say bye-bye if they get rid of the national anthem. That's just the reality of the situation. And the NBA and the NFL and MLB and NHL, they are not in a position to lose any more money. This is 100% about dollars and cents and nothing else. And again, Mark Cuban, really? You're going to make a decision on something like the national anthem? That's the league's job. You are one of 30 owners. That's what the league does. You are a owner in a league. Those decisions come from the league. Should not come from you or any of your other fellow owners. It's really unbelievable to me. Really is. That's my rant for today. Hope you really enjoyed my conversation today with Mike Lamb. Do me a favor. It really would mean a lot to me, especially if you're listening via Apple Podcasts. Can you write a comment? Uh, and give a review. It would mean an awful lot to me. Don't forget about my video rants over on YouTube. Again, both channels, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier. Folks, thank you so much. Have a fabulous weekend. And again, always appreciate you joining me right here. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.